When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. Hollis Brown, he lived on the outside of town. Hollis Brown, he lived on the outside of town with his wife and five children and his cabin fallen down. This is Pod Dylan that so that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Border Podcast Network. I'm your host of Freewheeling, Rob Kelly. And joining me to talk about Ballad of Hollis Brown from 1964's The Times They Are Changing is fellow Bobcat, Kevin Hitchcock. Hi, Kevin. Hey. Great to have you here. Thank you for doing the show. Dude, thanks so much for giving me the opportunity. I'm just like super nervous, but I do have a <laughs> beer next to me. So hopefully you can cut out any slurps that may occur. <laughs> <laughs> that helps but i'm Sometimes super excited I, I, i've had occasional drink when i'm doing the show uh i remember <laughs> I, I even had some shots of bob's whiskey uh when we talked about uh, bob dylan products years ago for an episode we did a long time ago so no problem at all i i, I guarantee this will be a fun conversation now i'm kind of excited because this is a relatively unique episode because this is like not one of my favorite bob songs uh, I like it, but it is not one that I would put on like my top hundred, top two hundred. And we'll get into the reasons for wow. that. But you, but you online stood up for this song. You were very, very, uh, you were <laughs> very, very forward about saying, Hey, no, no, no. I like the song and I'd love to defend it. So that's why you're here is yes. not, not that this song needs defending exactly, but most of the time, of course, I am all in on whatever song we're talking about. But this one, again, we'll get into the reasons why, but it is. I would put it on like the back nine of his 500 songs that he's done. I would definitely put it wow. in the you know, back end. I say, oh, you, you sound so upset already. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I did make some discoveries about this song in preparation for this episode, which kind of changed my opinion of it a little bit. Again, we'll get to all that. So you already did me a service, Kevin, by just you know wanting to talk about this song. Uh, I've learned more about it than I ever would have thought of before. But before we get to that, I got to ask you, since you're new to the show, how did you become a fan of Bob in the first place? Well, um, yeah, I, I'm interested to see what your take is, because uh, I think it is a great song. Um, it's definitely one of my favorites on the album. Uh, but yeah, as far as my entrance into Bob Dylan now, um, I took some notes because I'm known to be a rambler um, <laughs> and can kind of tell the backstory to the backstory to the story. Um, so I'm going to make sure I don't do that uh, or else everyone's going to be falling asleep two minutes in. By the way, if you hear kids screaming, I have a two and a half year old that is having a hard time today. So apologize for that. You know, a lot of people say that they like, you know, they had their, their uh, parents or their uncle or whoever got them into music, you know, growing up and, I wish I could say that there was some like magical moment when I was a child where good old Bobby D came into my life, but that's not exactly what happened. My parents mostly just liked, you know, my mom was all, like into uh, soundtracks and easy listening and stuff. And uh, my dad was like really into like country gospel, but like the more commercial kind, uh, like Statler Brothers and Oak Ridge Boys and all gotcha. that. Gotcha. Um, and I listened to a lot of like oldies when I was a kid, like real kid. And uh, I listened to a lot of like Frankie Valley and the monkeys and stuff. Uh, but then as I got a little older, uh, like into early high school era, I got really into like metal and stuff. And it's kind of a funny <laughs> transition. But uh, my older brother came home one day and was like, hey, have you heard this band Bright Eyes? 
And I was like, no, I've not heard this. So we, this is back in like, uh, early 2000s and, um, you know, LimeWire and Kazaa and all those things were, you know, super happening. He downloads these random songs and I got really into this band, Bright Eyes, which I don't know if you've ever heard of them. Have you heard of Bright Eyes? I, I have heard of them. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, a lot of people call him like a new Dylan, or at least a lot of people said that at the time in reviews and stuff. <laughs> that's, a, and that's, so, a, that's a label you don't want. I think at this point, I think right. most, most musicians are like, no, 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 I'm good. Don't, don't call me that. Thank you. <laughs> I know, especially with how many people have had that label. Right. It's like, exactly. It's, uh, yeah. You know, you don't want that for sure. Yeah. So. Anyway, I didn't know the the heck Bob Dylan was. I was just like, New Dylan? I don't even know what that is. Okay, whatever. And so, and also people said it was folk music. And I was like, I don't know what folk music is. Never heard of that. And so having no, like, uh, recollection or no um, attachment to this, you know, new thing, I didn't really look into it too much, didn't care. But uh, a few years later, um, when the Walk the Line movie came out, the Johnny Cash, uh, Johnny Cash biopic. I, I saw that, yes. Uh, amazing well at the time i still like it but you know it's a little cliche in some ways mm. when that movie came out i uh like i watched it and i was like wow i could see this like country stuff like he's doing like Folsom prison blues and he's like singing it to himself i was like i see the connection here with this and with what bright eyes was doing and so i got like super into johnny cash at that time and all this kind of, I'm telling you this, all this, like I said, backstory to the backstory, because it opened my eyes into listening to, you know, folky type stuff. A friend of mine, a few years later, I was hanging out with, uh, she had a Bob Dylan CD. Oh, actually, I cut out a really important part. Pandora. Pandora <laughs> came came into existence. And uh, it used to be like my main way to get music when I was like not at home, uh, like at work or something. And I made a bright eye station. And one of the songs that came up at one point was Sarah by Bob Dylan. Hey. And I was like, wow, this song's awesome. I like this a lot. So I, I, that was my first Bob Dylan song I remember knowing. And a while later, I was hanging out with a friend and she had a CD in her car and it's Bob Dylan. And I was just like, oh, yeah, I've heard about this guy, Bob Dylan. Maybe I should give him a look, you know, because I keep seeing his name pop up here and there. Do you remember what CD it was? Yeah, so funny story. The CD was a burned copy of <laughs> the No Direction Home soundtrack, the first disc. Uh, the, you know, <laughs> okay. All right. I think it's Volume 7 Bootleg Series. Something like that, yeah. Uh, yeah, so the funny part about that is I had no idea. You know, it was just, okay, Bob Dylan, cool. But, like, you know, the first half of that is all, like, traditional songs, you know, and some of his, you know, early compositions. But... um uh, he's, she's like, yeah, borrow this. And I put it in my, my iTunes library and became immediately hooked, like obsessed. My wife knows that I, when I get into something, I like really get into something. I make it my entire like obsession forever. <laughs> or, you know, if I'm not really into it, maybe I'll be obsessed with it for a month or so. And then, you know, whatever. But with Bob, it's been, this was 2008 ish or something like that. And I've just been obsessed ever since. So, um, yeah, that's my, it's my story. I don't know if it's very interesting, but that's how I got to it. <laughs> no, that's a perfectly natural way to, for it to, to happen. You know, you go from this to this to this. And then once you're in the Johnny Cash orbit, then it's kind of only a matter of time, really, because you're right. gonna, <laughs> there's going to be the overlap and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah. So that's good. So once you really got into it, you went out and just grabbed all the albums. I mean, how did that take form? 
Well, this was, again, this is 2008-ish, and I uh, wasn't really flush with cash exactly. So um, I may have acquired some albums <laughs> in a way that um, <laughs> may be frowned upon by some. Um, but yeah, I, I basically, because my entrance to him was the early stuff, I was really, and, and, and also the way that I kind of get into things is I always start at the beginning. I like chronologically looking into whatever it is, you know? Um, right. And so I was like, okay, cool. Started the self-titled, got into the self-titled, was into it, and then switched over to freewheeling after a bit, and then times are changing. And I kind of, and of course, another side, um, and I kind of just stuck in that realm for a while. I'd read, you know, Wikipedia was obviously around, and so I was like, oh, well, that's electric stuff. I don't know about that. And... Uh, <laughs> And so, actually, I did. I love that reaction. Like decades after it happened, uh, oh, yeah. I don't, I don't know about that. I don't know. Well, I was just like, I don't. It, it was, can you? Is it possibly a purist to somebody you just found out about like a few months before? Oh, I think I sometimes know. they're the most pure. <laughs> they're people that do stuff like that. I think that it's that often how that works. It's like the though we say the the people who were the most. Uh, humorless about smokers or ex-smokers you know like they're the ones that are like the most <laughs> possible to deal with so no i think that's entirely possible kevin yeah so that's kind of what happened as i stuck around that era and then um i also did listen to national skyline because of the johnny cash uh, sure. duet but you know and that kind of has a similar sound ish anyway to what i was used to so it all kind of worked um but it did I, I stuck around that era and like I said, I downloaded most of everything I had. I don't think I actually bought like a physical CD until a while later. Um, and, uh, but then I started getting some records, some vinyl, cause I already had a small vinyl collection at that point. Um, and my parents, we always grew up listening to vinyl like all the time when I was a kid, you know, uh, soundtracks and monkeys and stuff. But, <laughs> uh, but yeah, my, a friend of mine got me a, uh, Empire Burlesque was my first, uh, <laughs> <laughs> great place to start okay yeah. <laughs> i'm not sure about this electric stuff but uh techno bob i'm all in sure. <laughs> well at that point i was just like whatever i'll take anything you know and it was a friend of mine gave it to me as a present she just like walked into a record store and found that and said here you go and i said okay <laughs> but dark eyes i mean amazing song right yeah. oh good right sure sure absolutely so <laughs> that's fantastic uh <laughs> have you seen him live yes so i meant to write down but it's only been three times i'm just trying to recall the exact times but the first time i saw him was uh in 2009 and this would have been you know roughly a year or so after i got into him i don't remember exactly when it was i got into him but i so one of the things was i was single and I had literally no friends that liked any of the music I liked, basically. I had, I, like I said, I was in the metal and stuff in high school and I was in a few bands. And so like all my friends were from that scene and they had no interest. Um, and so I bought a, I bought a ticket for myself, um, to go see him. And this was during the, um, the tour he did with Willie Nelson and John Mellencamp. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, it was, they were, they were touring like minor league baseball stadiums. Right. Right. Um, and there's, there's one where I live, I live in, um, central to like Austin area and, um, it's called the Dell diamond. It's sponsored by Dell. And, uh, anyway, I went there, 
uh, by myself. I paid like $75 secondhand for the ticket. And with her by myself, I uh, didn't know anybody. And I loved it. And, you know, this is right around when uh, I think, oh, my gosh, Together Through Life. I think they had just came out. And so I was like, you know, at, at that point, I had gotten into pretty much everything that was Bob Dylan, you know, old, new, whatever. So I was really excited to see the new stuff. But, of course, and I'm sure everyone can feel this way. Anyone that was around them, you could just tell that they had no idea. They were like, what? He still makes music? um but it was amazing and i actually got into i listened to willie nelson sort of casually but after that show i got into to willie as well and john mellencamp i again i'm different generation so these were like you know obviously bob dylan was older but john mellencamp was like i had i was like who is this guy looks like you know washed up 80s you know pop star or whatever and now, like in retrospect, I actually really like John Mellencamp. So it's kind of funny how that works. But what was the order? Who played in what? What was it? Mellencamp, Willie, and then Bob, or was it something else? Actually, it was Willie Nelson first, then John Mellencamp, and then Bob was okay. the headliner. Gotcha. Okay. Which was which is kind of funny. Um, I don't know if they had like different nights where they switched out or whatever, but I felt bad because Willie, you know, he's he was he's old now, but he was old then, um, and it was hot. You know, it was like August or something in Texas and in the middle of this baseball stadium. And there was just sun just baking on it. I was like, Ooh, oh, my gosh. Okay. But he survived, obviously. But um, yeah, so that was the first time I saw him. And then the second time was not until 2018, actually. Um, so it was a big gap. Um, I went to go see him at the One Star Casino in Oklahoma. My mom bought that ticket for me as my 30th birthday present. And, uh, that was amazing, but also it was, it was like one of those, cause he hadn't had an album in a while. Mm. So I wasn't sure what he was going to play. And it was, it was so good though. It was really great. The sound was great. And then, excuse me, the last time I saw him was just a few months ago at, um, here in Austin. And of course is the rough and rowdy waves tour. Mm-hmm. And so it was phenomenal. It was so great. So great. So I'm hoping to see him again. But yeah, three times, not as many as some other people out there. But being that uh, I'm a more recent fan, I guess I don't have as many opportunities. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, <laughs> so whatever you can, whenever you get a chance to see him, go to see him. You know right. what I mean? It's like, it doesn't matter how many, know. I mean, for again, for, for someone who's been a fan of his as long as I have, I'm pretty low on that number. I'm at like 25. There are people that are in like the hundreds at this point. Well, that's good. I'm glad that you enjoyed them. You know, I'm glad that uh, mm-hmm. your experience with all three of them was was a good one, and you got to see him at kind of different points because you you know you saw two different times where he has an album that he's sort of leaning on. Although I guess did he play? If you remember, did he play much from Together Through Life when you saw him? I yeah, he, did he? Okay. I don't remember the set list. I don't have it up in front of me, but I do remember him playing some Together Through Life, some from modern times and stuff. And I remember being like, "Oh yeah, this is one of the new songs," and, <laughs> and the people around me it was like. They were just, you know, they look confused. They didn't. I mean, I <laughs> Watch Tower a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's awesome. I said that's great. Uh, were you close to him at any point in the, like, in terms of the, you know, what row you were at? Man, I tell you what, I bought the tickets to the see Bob Dylan. I the last recent, the most recent time, I was like, oh man, I got tickets so quickly. It should be good, but they were still pretty far away. Okay. Um, the good thing about the 
the first time I saw him because it was just all open seat. You know, it was a standing room only in, on the middle of a field. So oh, I could have man. gotten closer there. I'm too old for but, that uh, now. <laughs> I used to be able to hack <laughs> that when I was younger. I'm too old for that now. And that's one of the things I wish they allow you to uh, record just because, like, I wow. want to relive those moments. Right. <laughs> you know? It's so funny that you keep hearing these stories about how uh, tough they are on these people. But, I mean, you wait about an hour after a concert and it's up on YouTube. You know, the, mm-hmm. like, it's, so it's, they, they're, they, they miss some people because, uh, there are people who managed to record the whole damn show and put it up, you know? So it's like, okay, right. you know, so, okay. They're, they're demanding, they're putting the uh, phones in bags and all sorts of stuff, but you know, the stuff's out there. It's, it's again, it turns out. I've seen, yeah, I've seen those and I'm like, how do they do that? Yeah. Because I feel yeah. like they're really, you know, uh, forceful about making sure you're not getting your phone out and stuff. There was some story on Twitter a couple of months ago about where Bob like literally looked somebody in the eye and like told them to put their phone away. Oh yeah. And I'd be like, I oh my that. God, I would melt into a puddle if Bob Dylan had gl- <laughs> fixed that glitch. The uh, Bob Dylan is unimpressed gif at me and just, I'd be like, oh God, I just, I just want to die. I'm sorry, Bob. I don't need that. But that's the reason I never get my phone out. It's like, I can't, I can't hack that. I don't want Bob to be mad at me. So, well, well you know what gets me? I'm sorry. One more thing. Well, you know what gets me about that is that you've seen him recently, right? Yeah. Okay. So you know how after he finishes the song, he comes out from the piano mm-hmm. and like grabs a mic stand and does a pose. He like mm-hmm. strikes a pose. Right. I'm like, okay, this seems like a good time to take pictures, right? <laughs> Are we now? Uh, you're posing for me, right? That's what you're doing? Okay. Whatever. I don't know. <laughs> Trying to figure out Bob is a. Uh... Fool's error. So, uh, all right. Well, again, that, that's, that's awesome. It's a great origin story. I love hearing those no matter, no matter what path people take. Uh, I always enjoy finding out exactly what, what got you to where, what, what the steps were. So that's, that's fantastic. So as I said at the top of the show, um, you're kind of here to defend Hollis Brown a little bit. And I will say right off the bat, the, re- the reason that this song is not one of my favorites is like I said, I think it's a good song. It, conveys what it's trying to convey but it is so bleak so, so unremittingly bleak both in its yes. in the lyrical content and the structure where it's just that down 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 that's it for five <laughs> for five minutes <laughs> that it's it's i listen to it and i just go okay i it's it to me it's like it's like uh, eating your vegetables you know it's that kind of song especially in the structure where it's placed on the record of course we just talked about this this album uh, a couple episodes ago when Noah Schusterman and I talked about the times they are changing that's track one and that's kind of mm-hmm. this you know yeah it's a protest song but it's an upbeat song it's mm-hmm. it's a call to arms and then the very next song is this thing which is like somebody kicking you in the face um, yeah so I love it. Okay. <laughs> okay. So why? Why do you love this unremittingly bleak song so much? So uh, I think having this song as song number two, I, you, I don't know how you feel about this, but I think a lot of albums, you can't judge them based off the first song. You've got to hear song two. And I think mm-hmm. song two on a, on a track two on so many albums is like the make or break. Mm-hmm. So is this going to be good or not? Um, and I feel like the fact that he chose now it could be who knows what Bob Dylan does. He could just like throw him on the dartboard and who knows what <laughs> track ends up becoming whatever. But I feel like putting this as track two is almost like a, I mean, business, you know, 
Like, I'm not just talking about this stuff for fun. This is legit. This is stuff that people are going through right now, you know, and I think people need to know about these untold stories about people that are so desperate, so down and out that they resort to a murder suicide. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, uh, the, the down, 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 down to me is like one of my favorite parts of the song. Interesting. Okay. So yeah, people, <laughs> people are hungry. They're still hungry to this day. We, we still have people that are, you know, food insecure in this, in this right. most like, you know, prosperous, richest land in the, in the world. And we still have people that do not get enough to eat. So that's absolutely something that's going on. In fact, we'll talk about that later on when we get to the covers of this song. But I mean, to me, this song is so squarely set in like the Dust Bowl. You know, um, again, I mean, we talked about again with in the Times Are Changing uh, episode. You know, the cover of the record is very Dorothea Lang on purpose, and so and to me, the lyrics of this song, while very effective, to me are the most kind of indicative of that style, that really stark style where it's it. You know, the 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 details to the song have been stripped down to their barest essentials. You know, Mm -hmm. there is very little florid language going here it's just straight ahead descriptions i mean the second verse is you work you looked for work and money and you walked a rugged mile you looked for work and money and you walked a rugged mile your children are so hungry that they don't know how to smile your baby's eyes look crazy they're tugging at your sleeve your baby's looks a baby's eyes look crazy they're tugging at your sleeve you want you walk the floor and wonder why with every breath you breathe so again incredibly effective incredibly evocative stuff but it to me it's it's so specifically kind of the dust bowl kind of thing that mm-hmm. it feels a little like okay this this is 1964 and again i realize people yes people in 1964 in in places all across this world don't have enough food and that's still happening now but it's i don't know it to me right. it, there's just there's just like a slight like museum pc quality to it that just feels sure. I mean, very very discordant with the song we just heard before now again i know you know you put the song you know the the songs exist kind of on their own in some level they're not meant to be this isn't like a concept record but it's i don't know i always right. I, I, well, I, I mean wonder... I, I think it kind of is though okay How i so? mean i i i feel like this i don't know maybe it's not it's not exactly like a you know complete story record like you might say something like redheaded stranger from Lily Nelson or something mm-hmm. but it is it has a theme i mm-hmm. think very clearly has a theme and the theme to me is i don't know it's 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 depressing but it's <laughs> hopeful it's honest but it has a sort of like romantic longing in certain songs like in uh, you know boots of spanish leather and such sure um you know, it's, I think the album, it's, I think he's really was trying to sort of make a political, like the, the end all be all with political finger pointing sort of records, you know, and cause obviously after this, he kind of left that round sort of like his last, you know, his last final subject or final, um, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of <laughs> his, his, uh, 
uh, final statement, his final oh word. Gosh, on this kind of- yeah, final statement. Thank you. Statement. Sorry. Yes, this is his final sort of statement, his final way he's going to go out on this note. You know, this is what he wants to say. And so the reason I say it, I think it has a theme is you think about this song and then you think about North Country Blues. Mm-hmm. And I feel like those together are essentially two sides of the same coin. You know, one is the down and out farmer who lives, you know, in a, a, I mean, I agree. This seemed very dust bully, but uh, I would, you know, again, I wouldn't be surprised if something like this did happen in the sixties, or maybe he saw a story about it when he was a kid, you know, in the forties sure. or fifties. Sure. And uh, being that he came from that kind of, not exactly rural, but rural adjacent, I guess, in Minnesota, I'm sure he saw a lot of this stuff. Whereas North country blues is the, opposite it's the uh you've got uh, the 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 miner you know in the mining town down and out about the world and you know, capitalism taking away uh what was their livelihoods the only difference here is that um i don't know it it ends it both end pretty sad right so um <laughs> do you do you have a do you what do you feel about north country blues i know we're not supposed to talk about that song but <laughs> uh, I I like that one too, but it's it again. It leaves me in this in a similar kind of place as this one. Although this is just to me even more unrelenting. But it just it's I again. I I feel like I appreciate it more than I enjoy it. And maybe on some level, you're not supposed to quote unquote enjoy it. It's supposed to be something a little different than just entertainment. Uh, it is you know he is obviously again he's very very sort of serious with the points he's making. It is sort of funny to think that. At this point, he's making his quote unquote final statement on this stuff. He was all of 23 when he made this record. <laughs> Imagine <laughs> being at being 23 and being like, all right, I feel like I've explored this enough. Let's move. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow. Okay. 23. Well, huh? I could be wrong if that's true. I mean, you know, obviously I'm looking at this in hindsight and well, no, but I think next. No, but I think that's accurate though. I think that was what he was intending. I mean, I think if he had continued down this road, it almost would have become sort of self parody that it's become yeah. so self-serious, you know, and it's just so grim. I mean, I, Did, well, it's funny. You, you talk about the ending. Uh, well, you know what? Let's, let's not jump to the end. You were, what were you going to say? I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, that's fine. I was going to say, um, to your point about continuing, this would be sort of, sort of a self-parody. Did you ever read or listen to the, um, uh, autobiography, uh, sort of autobiography, I guess, of, uh, Dave Van Rock? No. The mayor of Moodle Street. No, I'm not um, in, Okay, in that he talks about uh, the sort of protest song format because he wasn't, you know, he was in folk, he was in the folk scene of the early 60s and Grinch Village and stuff, but he didn't really do that folk or that protest stuff. But there was another guy, and now I'm blanking on the name. Oh my gosh, what's his name? The uh, I Ain't Marching Anymore, Phil Oaks. Um, and he was so into that protest song uh, format that it got to the point where he was writing a song. He had just had to have a new song about whatever news line was. It was almost like a, a uh, more of a news article type subscription <laughs> hmm. because he was just going through them so quickly. Um, but one of the things he talks about in the book is that they don't age very well. Sure. You know? Um, and so I think that is a good point because I think Bob probably was thinking, okay, well, you know, maybe I write this song and then in a year or so, maybe I don't feel that same way. And uh, I don't know, I got to sing these out on the road and so on and so forth. And 
maybe that's why he moved on from that protest stuff. Yeah, I mean, the, we've talked about again in numerous episodes of how many Bob songs take place in a sort of indeterminate time. And this, uh, you know, this is, could be one of those songs that it's like, well, okay, yeah, it feels very dust bowly, but it really could be any time. I mean, again, there's people that are, that are, that are starving today. And there, we've seen footage of Bob, uh, when he was younger, you know, singing in the back of trucks. And if you didn't mm-hmm. know that that was Bob Dylan, you'd be like, boy, that's what, 1930? That's gotta be right. right. I mean, they they got to be doing yeah. something for Roosevelt, uh, at that point. And so. In terms of the end of the song, I mean, he goes on and says, the rats have got your flower, bad blood, it got your mare. The rats have got your flower, bad blood, it got your mare. If there's anyone that knows, is there anyone that cares? You prayed to the Lord above, oh, please send you a friend. Oh, uh, you prayed to the Lord, oh, Lord above, please send you a friend. You empty pockets tell you that you ain't got no friend. Your baby's crying louder, it's a pounding on your brain. Your baby's crying louder, it's a pounding on your brain. Your wife's screaming or stabbing you like a dirty driving rain. And then, of course, he moves on to the whole bit about the shotgun shells. But then the final verse of the song, he says, there's seven people dead on a South Dakota farm. There's seven people dead on a South Dakota farm. Somewhere in the distance, there's seven new people born. Yeah. For you, is that an upbeat ending or is that an even more of a downer ending? Because you can read it either way. Well, I it's almost like both, you know? I mean, Mm -hmm. I so one of the things I love about this song is the the fixation on the shotgun, mm-hmm. you know? And and I feel like you can, it's not the most poetic song, you know, it's not uh, Chimes of Freedom or something, <laughs> but uh, it definitely has poetry in it to me, you know, with the, uh, I feel like I can feel like I'm in that place. He described it so well, you know? I mean, I feel like your wife's, your wife's screaming, your wife's screams are stabbing you like the dirty driving rain. And the thing about the, the baby's, uh, what was that one? The, your baby's eyes look crazy. They're tugging at your sleeve. You know, that stuff, I could really feel that, you know? Mm. Um, and the, the shotgun stuff, you know, where it talks about you spent your loan, last loan dollar and seven shotgun shells, your eyes fixed on the shotgun that's hanging on the wall. Uh, your eyes, your eyes fixed on the shotgun that you're holding in your hand. You can see, okay, you bought the shells. He sees on the wall, he takes it down, he's holding it in his hand. And then seven shots ring out like the ocean's pounding roar. Man, it just, it gets me. I, uh, I'm just like, I get chills listening to it. I think it's so stark, it is stark for sure, but it, it just, it really like, I feel it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, that, that last verse, like you talked about the, uh, is that hopeful? Well, I think it is kind of, you know, this is a sad tragedy, but for every, and it's maybe just a spiritual thing, you know, but for every life lost, there's another life born. So I think that's kind of the idea is that it's telling, I don't know if it's telling a moral or if it's just saying like, so yeah, you say you can see other either way. I, I'm interested if you think the sad, sad way is other seven new people bound to live this same fate or are these seven new people uh, getting a second chance? See, you that's... I mean? are these, yeah, that is always how I've I've heard it. Is that the seven new people born? Is I mean, it depends on your again your your view of you know your sort of theological view is like, well, are these the seven spirits that are just now been born into new forms, or is it just a matter of numbers and that okay, there's seven more over here, there's seven more that seven just died, there's seven more over here. But 
every time I've ever heard the song, it always reads to me like it is more misery that it's these seven people wasted thwarted lives. And now there's going to be seven new people and they're probably going to end up. It's it's, they're just going to end up being born into the same situation. It's just Mm -hmm. endless misery. And that's why I've always kind of like, again, I admire the song and I can appreciate the song, but I don't enjoy the song. Uh, You know, it's that kind of thing. And again, maybe you know, maybe if over time I heard that line differently, the seven new, the, the, the last line differently as, okay, these are seven new spirits that have gotten another chance at life. Maybe I'd regard it differently. Maybe I would feel differently if, uh, if I felt differently about reincarnation, you know what I mean? I have my own sort right. of views of reincarnation about, you know, I, and on, I'm not a spiritual person at all, at all. Mm-hmm. I feel like reincarnation is, makes the most sense in terms of the physical world that we live in at the same time, the thought of being like a child again is to me almost horrific. And so it's like, well, <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't, that doesn't sound that good. You know, I'm like, right. can I be, can I be reborn again at like 19? Mm-hmm. That'd be kind of good. But you know, right. so it all depends on, so like I said, it's like, I, I, I absolutely think it's a, it's a quality song. It's as you say, the language is paints an incredible picture. And it's tight and it's for a fairly long song. It's tight in its language and it's incredibly evocative, but I just find it. I just listen to it and it's like, okay, okay. Is that over? It's over now. All right. Let's get to the next song kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I could see that. I, again, it also feels a bit, what, you know, like anything, it's a song you're bringing to it. I, and it, it, it could be my view of the situation and that it's, it's like, if if you're uh, if, if Hollis if Hollis Brand if Hollis Brand cannot think of any other situ any other exit than to murder his own children, that there's no other way out of it. I almost think what what's wrong with Hollis Brown? Like, I, I you know yeah. what I mean? Like then your mind starts as you as you kind of said earlier, like back the 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 background to the background to the background. I start saying, "Good Lord, Hollis Brown, put your kids in a on a horse." And send them out of town. Don't murder them. May, you know what I mean? Maybe like, move. On. Yeah. I, I kind of thought about it too. Like, Hollis Brown, why are you living on the outside? Maybe you should go inside of town yeah. where there's people to, like, help, uh, you know, raise your kids or something. There has to be uh, some alternative that is better for your children than putting a shotgun to their skulls, you know? And so it right. makes me just kind of say, Hollis Brown, man, you really, what, what are you doing? You know, that kind of thing. And it makes me not like Hollis Brown very much. And he's the guy that we're supposed to sympathize. Well, I don't know if sympathize is the word more like just, I mean, cause you know, you hear stories about this all the time, even today you hear, okay. So there was like a story in the news a while back about a guy that killed his wife and daughter or something because he was worried that they were going to, you know, do some devil stuff or whatever, you know, like people are crazy. People can be crazy. Yeah. But I think it's important to kind of focus on certain things can cause people to go crazy and certain triggers, you know, one could just be, you have, you have, you know, a a mental, you know, issue or, you know, some sort of disease, but it also could be the, uh, the hard luck that you've had upon yourself. And maybe that cabin broken down that he lives in has been in his family for hundred years, mm-hmm. you know, maybe that's where his parents were, you know, buried under a tree or something, you know? Mm-hmm. And so leaving that 
place isn't so easy. It's easy to say, okay, well, maybe you should have looked for a better situation, but maybe the nearest town to him is also it, the nearest town to him could be the town in North Country Blues, you know, where uh, they, it was doing pretty well for themselves with the with the mine, and then the mine shut down, and now everyone's moving away. And um, so, yeah, it's it's hard to do that. Now, what th- what I think is funny is uh, in one of the live versions, I don't remember which one he introduces it as, or maybe it's the Whitmark demos. He introduces the song as uh, the rise and fall of Hollis Brown. Now I read through these lyrics and I don't see a rise anywhere in this. Do you see a rise? No. no. <laughs> I don't see a rise, but I definitely see a fall. I could see the fall of Hollis Brown. Yeah, Hollis Brown starts song. low and continues to sink even further. There is no <laughs> rise to this. And again, I don't, I don't, I want to make sure I'm cl- clear. I don't want to sound like that I'm unsympathetic to Hollis Brown. In fact, just the opposite. And of course, relentless. I look, I've been fortunate enough to not have her really have had this life but i can understand that relentless driving poverty to which looks like and it seems that like there is no end in sight can be crushing mentally obviously because right. i mean obviously hollis brown is driven to the point of murdering his own children mm-hmm. obviously he's lost touch with you know basic humanity uh, humanity yes the perfect word for it and you know it's sort of it's sort of you know, ironic slash funny. Just a couple of days ago, we we uh, there was the news that the author Barbara Ehrenreich passed away, and she wrote a book called Nickel and Dimed, which I read and was it's an excellent book about. She went and lived this life to see what it is like to live with this in this situation where you are barely subsisting, and how the system in this country specifically keep once you're down keeps you down. And, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, there's that there's that phrase about it's very expensive to be poor in America. And that is right. true because you are so relentlessly punished for not having resources and you get more and more financially punished for not having resources, which, of course, makes you mm-hmm. even further behind. So, again, I want to be really clear. I'm not at all that I'm not sympathetic because and that's the other thing is like there were a bunch of I remember when she wrote that book. There were a bunch of jagoffs at the time that went that are that wanted to kind of prove the opposite and went and did it for a month and were like, oh, I was able to subsist off Walmart wages for a month, you know. And Barbara Aaron, of course, you know, it's like, well, yeah, it, but that's really different when you know it's going to end in a month, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. Then you're a dilettante. Then you're just sort of, uh, you're kind of you're like a tourist. You're like a poor tourist, and that's completely right. different than when you have no money and you know that there is probably no way out especially when as you're happening in the song your children are literally crying out in hunger that has well you know, and it talks about how much Hollis brown has lost his mind due to yeah. what's the situation around him and you don't have kids right i do not okay so baby's crying for more than a while <laughs> more than just 10 minutes can make anyone go crazy so right uh i have three kids myself so i can wow. totally i mean obviously i've never killed anybody but <laughs> <laughs> well, thank just for the record for yeah i am i am not a murderer uh but uh <laughs> no i mean there's definitely times where there's you know i got three kids they're all screaming and i put some headphones on mm-hmm. noise canceling put on some calming music and get through that diaper change or whatever i need to do because yeah i mean 
uh, in all seriousness, you know, uh, that stuff, I think there was like a study that said like baby crying raises your blood pressure by so many points or whatever. Whoa. Um, oh boy. so yeah. So anyway, all that stuff kind of just will get to you, you know, I mean, adding it up. That's, and that's one of the things about this side is just like, Oh, what else could go wrong? Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's like the movies were like, well, nothing could possibly get any worse than this. And then it starts raining. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, you're tempting fate by saying things like that. Yeah, it's kind of like that. Did you, by the way, did you see the uh, uh, additional verse that uh, was on one of the outtakes? Yes. Uh, again, I wish I'd written it down. I should have written it down, but I know there was. Another I've got verse. it in front of me. Okay, what is it? It says, "There's bed bugs on your baby's bed. There's chinches on your wife. There's bed bugs on your baby's bed. There's chinches on your wife." gangrene snuck in your side it's a cut and you like a knife oh that's yes the gangrene (laughs) (laughs) just in case this song was a little too upbeat for everybody uh throw in the gangrene as well yeah it uh it same thing it's like i appreciate the artistry of that because it is certainly paints a a picture but boy it is (laughs) you know it is rough yeah it is rough rough going now you mentioned uh, some of the live versions. This song has been performed 211 times, which is way more than I thought. Uh, than wow, it would have I been. didn't even know that. I yeah. have a look. And he's actually, he played it a bunch of times in 2012. Uh, really? It's, yeah. I mean, it's kind, it's kind of amazing. He's played it all throughout the 2000s and into the 90s. So it's, it's never really fully, and even into the 80s, it's never really fully left the set lists in any real way. He did perform it surprisingly a bunch of times during the tour with the band in 1974 and the arena mm. tour, which is, you know, he did it acoustically, but that's kind of an, that's not a song you would think that you would whip out at an arena crowd. But he did, I mean, he performed it in the early sixties and then not again for 10 more years. And then, like I said, he started playing it. At the Spectrum, which I've seen Bob, it's no longer there, but I've seen Bob play there in Philadelphia on January 6, 1974. And it stayed on that set list all throughout January and into February. So he stuck with it for a while. And again, I, I would imagine that that was a song that probably drove a lot of people to go get their beer at that point or go get a T-shirt. Because <laughs> it's just, it's, you know, but at the same time, the vocal performance is very, very different. Uh, he's kind of yelling it a bit more and so i think it gives it a little more i don't know i'm not gonna use the word lilt but it just gives it a little more just a it's just a little less downbeat by the just the sheer change in the vocal performance yeah i actually haven't heard that so i'd love to hear that if you can there's a bunch of them on youtube you can find them on okay i'll have to take a look um yeah and so again it's, it's i have the i was gonna say i have the the album the live album from that tour um but i'd it's not on there, right? No, it's not on there. It's not on there. Yeah. Now, um, this thing has been covered a billion times. Again, for for such a kind of grim song, uh, it's been covered by a lot of different people. The Stooges covered it. Hootie and the Blowfish. I can't imagine what that version sounds like. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Leon Russell, Paula Cole, and even by director David Lynch on his album, The Big Dream, where David Lynch sings songs. And um, I looked up that record. The entire record are original songs by David Lynch and a and a uh, a co-creator. This song is the only cover on the record. 
is David Lynch and his voice is kind of filtered through like a computer and but it's David Lynch, Twin Peaks David Lynch singing Ballad of Hollis Brown. <laughs> so uh okay. Is sure. it good though? Eh, it's not my style. I'll say that. <laughs> let me put it let me put it that way. Um now the the other two covers I wanted to mention. One, there was uh on the um Chimes of Freedom Amnesty International benefit record it was covered by a band called rise against and they do kind mm-hmm. of like this punk version of it. And I thought that actually was quite effective because the video, again, you can see that on YouTube features actual footage of, of people uh, who are probably, you know, maybe not in this exact situation, but probably not far from it. And it features on the screen, a number of very, very sobering statistics about poverty mm-hmm. in America. And I thought that was an incredibly effective way of using this, you know, directly as a as a political message of here's the song we're singing. This is a song from 1964. And here we are 35 years later. And this is where we are. 13% of children go to bed hungry in America on these kind of absolutely horrendous uh, statistics. So I thought that was actually really quite effective. The, uh, the, the, the cover of the song itself, I was a little indifferent to because they're just kind of screaming it. But visually, <laughs> visually, I thought it was really quite powerful. So that one I like. Yeah. Go ahead. I have not actually listened to that. I, I do have it on my iTunes library, but I am kind of a weird person when it comes to Bob Dylan covers because I feel like no one can really do Bob Dylan covers very well. So I usually don't really seek them out too much. That's the funny thing is that the, my favorite version of this is one by Nina Simone. And mm. Nina Simone, I mean, Nina Simone is a, absolutely a legend. And she met, I, I, I did not know a whole lot about her up until fairly recently. Uh, and then I've been discovering a lot of her stuff, a lot of her Dylan covers, which you would imagine when you first hear them, you're like, this is an, what? This is a, this is her version of just like Tom Thumbs Blues. And she has this great version of, of Hollis Brown. I guess it's from a television program. I'm not exactly sure, but she mm-hmm. sort of does this little talk intro. And then sings the song and she doesn't change the words. It's all the same lyrics. But again, by the quality of her voice, I feel like the message is still there, but it's just not so unrelentingly somebody just pounding you in the head with a, with a, mm. the board. And so I really like <laughs> that version. Uh, again, that's on YouTube as well. So that's again, incredibly effective song. So, and I never knew, I didn't know about any of those versions until we decided to do this. And so now I'm like, okay, I appreciate this song in a whole different manner because here's a couple of very different approaches and I like how, what these people did with it. So I kind of appreciate this song more than I would have before we ever started this. So I have to thank you for that, Kim. Yeah, well, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> uh, but personally, um, I don't know, man, I still love their version of version. So the, I was going to say that I, one, one of the things I had written down on my notes here was to talk about that. Dun, 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 mm-hmm. dun, dun. To me, I don't know if it's just any, I don't know if it's anyone else or it's just me, but those notes, the persistent of the persistence of them throughout the whole song remind me of like a ticking clock or like a ticking mm-hmm. time bomb. Okay. Like, duh, 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 yeah, like duh, a metronome you know, kind like, of thing to it. Like a tick tock. Yeah. Like yep. tick tock, tick tock. And so it kind of adds maybe to that sort of bleak anxiety sort of like anticipation that something bad is going to happen. In addition to the lyrics, making you realize something bad is going to happen. It 
you know, that dan, 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 just from, it kind of adds into the, uh, it was like, uh, like an audible, uh, verse almost is what it's like. It, it, you know, the babies screaming, your wife's screams and everyone's screaming and you hear that ding, 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 <laughs> ding, ding. And like, it's like, yeah, anyone's going crazy when they listen to that. I also found out when I was researching this that, the melody is actually based off an old traditional tune, right? Old murder ballad, pretty, oh, pretty poly, pretty poly, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh wow, yeah, that's that. I can totally see that. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, when I was telling a friend of mine that I was going to be doing this, and I told him what song, he's like, oh, good old murder ballad. And I was like, you know, I hadn't <laughs> thought about it, but it is a murder ballad. You know, it's a murder mm-hmm. suicide ballad. <laughs> Not exactly as. Uh, it's a little bit easier to listen to than some of those old murder ballads. I don't know if you've gone into a murder ballad phase or anything, but a lot <laughs> no, of those not, are not as such. <laughs> a lot of those are pretty crazy. It's just like, Oh, I was dating my girlfriend. We went for a walk and I hit her over the head with a two by four. And it's like, what? <laughs> yeah. They are crazy. But, uh, De- yeah, Delia, he- like think about Delia. There's a like, Bob himself covered. There's a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, Delia has gone. It's got murder. He's got that guy murdered his wife and murdered all his friends basically. So. Yeah. yeah, a lot of that. It's as I feel like uh, any historian will tell you, the old times were just terrible. Everything was just terrible, you know. <laughs> just everybody was dying of diseases right. that we can cure now. It was just mm-hmm. if you were if you were anything but like a straight white male, you were just got a target on your back. I mean, just everything was just terrible. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> so, oh yeah, God. yeah. And then, so, like this song, right around this time, you know, it was 2008. I was this was my first time i could vote in a presidential election i just started becoming more politically aware and like i i grew up sort of conservatives but yeah sort of nonchalant not paying attention a lot and i started Mm. paying more attention so this song came and the whole album came along at the time that was like my sort of political awakening Mm. um and that's this song plus with god on her side and north country blues like really sort of opened my eyes to like oh maybe america isn't the amazing country that I've been taught in school, you know? Um, and so I, I think this song and this album for sort of, you know, making me a socialist. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, then it was all worth it for that. Then. Exactly. I mean, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the great movie critic, Roger Ebert, liked to say that movies uh, were empathy machines because it puts you in the shoes of somebody else. And, Right. Maybe left you feeling uh, maybe not sympathy, but at the very least empathy for another person that's not in your situation. And of course, songs can do that as well. You know, I mean, that's the same. I mean, and again, especially a lot of the songs on this record, it's you're it's people, whether they're they're heartbroken or it's people, whether it's, you know, Hattie, uh, Hattie Carroll, you know, it's it's or Hollis Brown. It's like you do. I mean, you're only the most hard hearted person would have no sympathy for Hollis Brown. Even if you can't relate to the extremities to which he has taken it, to which he has Mm -hmm. gone so far afield that he does this. But yeah, I mean, again, it's, and I like what you said about the the melody. It is that it is like a, like a metronome. It is a, and it's unrelenting and it feels Mm -hmm. like the hunger in your belly. It never goes away. You are, you are going to get no melodic relief in this song. There's not going to (laughs) be, there's no chorus. There's no bridge. There's nothing to lighten up. It's just more and more grim details. More and more. I think it's. I oh, you think that's the worst? Now we're gonna keep going. 
you know, and maybe even right. Bob himself realized, eh, maybe the gangrene line's a little too much, you know, maybe, maybe, <laughs> I'm, maybe I'm slathering it on a, a little, a little too much was already sort of. Uh, yeah, I'm glad he took that one out. Yeah, I don't think yeah. it really flowed. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, uh, it's amazing the man can work the the word gangrene into a song and make it sound sort of natural, you know, at all. Right. That's a tough word to tough word to say, but yeah, again, this is something that he was performing up until 2012, and it's 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 been in the set list. It's not a song that he obviously has just forgotten about. It's still around, at least in his mind. And so it feels like it, he still must feel like it's something current. And of course it is because we still have lots of people that do not have enough to eat, which is just an absolute calamity for a country yeah. that has the resources that we have. Um, so yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so, okay. I will say, I, I do appreciate the song more having researched it, which I probably never would have done had you not wanted to talk about it. So again, you know, at least for that and the reason that you're a socialist now, the song was worth it. So, you know, <laughs> good on you, Hollis Brown. Well, so, and let me just say, uh, to compliment you that this podcast has made me appreciate songs in new ways I would never have thought of. I listen to your show and I hear these people and I'm like, how the heck did they come up with that? <laughs> um, and not a bad way. I'm just like, whoa, mm-hmm. I, I, I consider myself to be a pretty big, pretty big Bob Dylan fan. And I, I do my fair share of deep dives, but some people just come up with stuff. And I'm like, wow, I never would have thought of that. That's really cool. Um, so I thank you for, you know, making this awesome show and, um, you know, focusing on one song at a time, I think is the best way to do it because it really allows you to have these more extended conversations. And I don't have any friends that like Bob Dylan, really. So uh, I don't really, and my wife gets tired of listening to me ramble on about stuff. So um, you didn't play her Hollis Brown, did you? Uh, you know, she was like, what's that song? And I was like, you won't like it. <laughs> <laughs> she's here while you're feeding the into... kids. Let's listen to this little, <laughs> this little jingle that he did. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't like that song. So, um, you know, the, the, it's a little uh, lost on her ears, but uh, she does like Bob Dylan though. So my wife, luckily, she does like Bob Dylan, um, but, you know, she doesn't exactly nerd out about it like I do. So, right, right, uh, right. but she has gone with me the last couple of shows. And, oh, good. Uh, good. 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 Yeah. Thank God I'm not by myself. And she actually prefers the like new morning era. His, like, sure. Sure. His prettiest voice, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Anyway, some people say that. But. Well, I mean, you know, we again, this is something else we've said on other episodes. It's like if if the average person not even the average Bob Dylan fan, the average person who just listens to contemporary music. If you ask them who Bob Dylan is, they probably get an image, not of this song, because this is not one of his most famous ones, but Mm -hmm. that feeling of like, oh, he's kind of this guy that's always railing about injustice. And if Mm -hmm. that, that might be the kind of thing that you're not just not that into with your popular music. You know, you might just be like, Mm -hmm. that's just not, but then if you play someone like that new morning, the man in me, they might go, wow, this is also Bob Dylan, you know, la, 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 la. you know, you're like, really, this is him, you know, and yeah. so that's, there's, there's a Bob Dylan for everybody. Yeah, <laughs> like we've that's, discovered and that's that. the thing. That's definitely true because, and I love pretty much every, you know, incarnation of him. I mean, I, definitely every incarnation. I love everything. Um, the only thing I haven't really dug into too much is like world gone wrong and, uh, Good as I've been to you, I haven't really dug into that too much. But no, that's else interesting I love. because considering how you got started with 
how you got started with Bob, which was through the folk stuff. I would think that would have been natural for you to grab those uh, albums. To be honest with you, his voice on those albums just still hasn't come around to me. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, All right. I, I don't know. It just, you know, he sounds great on the other albums you know, that book and that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just, I don't know. I, I need to give it more, more <laughs> listens probably. He is definitely at the furthest end of his mumbly thing. Is that, is, yeah. is that record? Cause I actually went out and bought the, um, the song books for those records. Cause this was at 92, 93, there was no internet and the lyrics were not included in those songs for that, for on those records. So I actually went out and bought the sound books. I went to colony records, which unfortunately <laughs> does not exist anymore in, in uh, New York city. And I bought the song books just so I could learn the words because he's so mumbly on those records. <laughs> I mean, there's a couple of songs where he's like, <laughs> like, that level. And I'm like, what is he saying? What is he? you know so but true. i do love those records i absolutely love those records and they got lots of murder ballads uh yes. on those. i mean yes. there's murder all over those things delia love henry i mean uh the, there's there's murder aplenty on on those records so well oh, yeah, uh, oh man uh well kevin thank you for uh saying that you wanted to be on the show to defend the song i always appreciate that. i like conversations like this i i, I love bob's work and just because i don't love it some particular song as much as I love others, it means I don't love it. I mean, there's, I can't even think of a Bob Dylan song that I actively don't like. I think they're just ones that are just not as good or just right. not as favorites, but I'm always happy mm-hmm. to have somebody on to vouch for a song that they like a little more than me. So this was just great. So thank you for doing this. Uh, before we sign off, I have to ask you the standard exit question, which would be if there's any Bob Dylan album you could sit in on the sessions for, which one would it be? So I think when you first started asking this question, I think you didn't say album, you said recording session. And so my initial answer was going to be, I would love to have sat in with the theme time radio hour episode. Oh. The most recent one he did when he did the uh, whiskey episode. The whiskey episode. That's fun. He That's just, a fun answer. He just sounded like he was having so much fun when he made that. You know, he was like in just such a good mood, cracking jokes. You know, I was thinking, dude, I would love to just sit next to him and hear him talk about whatever, essentially like my own personal murder most foul, where he just lists off all these different records and, <laughs> and songs. That's, that's a marvelous answer. No one's ever, I know, I, I think sometimes I say album, but I didn't mean that. So it was just like, hey, if you wanted to sit on a single soundtrack session, that would count as an answer too. So nobody's ever said theme time. That's a great answer. Yeah, thanks. And if it was just an album, I'd say probably, you know, Freewheeling or, or Times Are Changing just because of that era, you know, being in the early 60s, Greenwich Village folk scene, the all the like, you know, optimism that was sort of there and, you know, hanging out with Dave Van Ronk and and Susie Rotolo and all the people that were in that uh, scene. It's that been really cool, too. That would that's it. That's an absolutely fantastic answer, by the way, kind of related to that. You know, there's the, the, he's got the book coming out, The Philosophy of Modern Song. Yes. And I mean, everyone I know is going to get it. But on Amazon, they list an audiobook version. And there's no information on it, at least as of this recording. There's no way to, there's no info. You just, it just says audiobook. But I'm, Mm -hmm. now I'm wondering, is he doing the audiobook? I mean, he, cause it's like, 
I'll, I would buy, I like audiobooks because I, I jog a lot and I walk the dog a lot. And so I like to have things to listen to and on, uh, aside from podcasts. So even if they do an audio version that he doesn't do, I will get it anyway because it's still his words. Right. But man, if he does the audiobook, holy, <laughs> you know, wow. That would be amazing. That should count as a yeah, I mean, I, I mean, whoa. I love his, his speaking voice. Oh, I feel yeah. like the way he talks. Especially in theme time, he it's just, oh, it's so it's, charming. It's obviously, yeah, this just has like a sort of like a warmth to it. Um, so yeah, I think I'd probably do that only, or that would be a great reason. But even if it's not him, I am more of an audiobook person myself too because I can't concentrate well enough to read an actual book. I have to listen to it. <laughs> so, but I definitely gonna be picking that up as well because I got that Audible subscription. So, yeah, yeah good time. Oh, I, I cannot wait to hear. It. I just just the the idea of him doing those you know let's talk about keep my skillet good and greasy you know just that kind of uh, intonation <laughs> that he does oh my god that's going to be such yeah, amazing yeah. i will buy that in every format he puts it out in i'm just uh, i'm a total pigeon <laughs> for that particular book so well kevin thank you so much for doing this i really appreciate it, it was absolutely a marvelous conversation why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internet yeah it was so much fun uh my uh twitter handle is hyperion kevin h-y-p-e-r-i-o-n kevin mostly i just retweet uh <laughs> funny things that i find uh related to uh, you know uh, whether it be politics or uh random disney park stuff because my wife and i like to go to the parks we're used to before it got mm-hmm. expensive um and uh i also have a instagram that is i uh, starts with an underscore and it's ak40 kevin which is a funny pun um <laughs> But spelled AK40, spelled out Kevin. So feel free to follow me on there as well. All right. You heard him, everybody. So, of course, you can find all the back episodes of the show on the website, firewaterpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show on any podcatcher of your choice. If you want to support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, of which Pod Dylan is a part, please go to patreon.com slash podcast, like these fine folks did. Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hussle, George Doherty. Bucky Meckel, Paul Ruther, and Henry Bernstein. I really appreciate the support, uh, everybody. So uh, that is going to do it. Thanks for listening, and we will see you later. Bye. Today, millions of American families are caught in circumstances beyond their control. Their children will be compelled to live lives of poverty unless the cycle is broken. President Johnson's war on poverty has this one goal, to provide everyone a chance at a fruitful life. For the first time in the history of America, this can be done. If you would like to help, we suggest Feeding America. Feeding America is a United States-based nonprofit organization that is a nationwide network of more than 200 food banks that feed more than 46 million people through food pantries, soup kitchens, shelters, and other community-based agencies. It is the organization to which Bob Dylan has donated, in perpetuity, all the profits from his 2009 album, Christmas in the Heart. You can find them at feedingamerica.org.